We are on Ksubis Yudches Amid Beis, towards the very bottom, moving on to Yates Amid Aleph, on 18b4 in the Art Scroll Gemara. Uh, the Gemara now is going to quote a dispute in Machlokes about what we were discussing in the Mishnah. So again, a quick review of the Mishnah. The Mishnahs here are discussing the concept and application of HaPesha Asaru HaPesha Hitir, cases where a person or witnesses they say something which uh, sort of makes them lose out, but then they qualify that uh, with uh, their le- with their second statement. And in general, we would not believe their second statement without proof. But because uh, we are believing their first statement, then it's only through their statement alone that uh, they obligate themselves in some way, or they disqualify themselves. Or, or, or as as we'll see in our mission, a different case. So then we have to we have to believe their second statement. If we're going to believe them, we'll believe them through and through. So our mission discussed the case where there are witnesses. When when you have a when you have a star, you have a contract, a document of let's say either a sale or a loan, and let's say the authenticity of it is being questioned. So witnesses have to verify, at least it's one of the ways of verifying the uh, the authenticity of the document. One of the ways is for the witnesses to come. There are other ways as well. If people know the signature and they testify, or if there's a similar signature that was already verified in court of, a, of another document with the same signatures. But in this case, the witnesses themselves come and they testify and they say this is our, uh, this is our signature. By doing so, they are basically admitting to the fact that this is a kosher, this is a good halachic document. But then immediately thereafter they say, but you should know that we are disqualified for whatever reason. We were minors at the time when we signed. We were forced into it uh, when we signed. Uh, but we, but uh, we, we didn't want to sign. We were forced into it. It was a life-threatening situation. Or if they are disqualified because... Uh, they are related. They are Krovim, and therefore they weren't allowed to sign. They, they, for some reason, they are they are not allowed to testify. Whatever the reason is, let's say that because they are relatives. So in all those cases, the Mishnah says that we believe them because it's coming from them, and our only source to even say that this is an authentic document is through their testimony. And then they themselves, a second later. Uh, qualify it, and they say, but really we were disqualified at the time, so then we believe them. So the Gemara now quotes a dispute, a machlokas, as to whether or not we believe them. Tanu Rabbanan. Romeir has this unique opinion and says, you know what? We actually do not believe them. The Mishnah says we do believe them. Romeir says, I'm not the author of this Mishnah, and it's not true. We do not believe them. And we will have to explain in a minute, why not? Isn't there a Peshasar? The Chacham Omer Neman and the Chacham say that no, we do believe them. So the Gemara says, "Bishlam I understand the reason to say that we believe these witnesses to say that we signed the document. However, we are disqualified because we were minors, or because we were related, or because we were forced into it. There was a threat in our lives, and therefore we were forced into it. We believe them because if we believe the first part of their statement, we have to believe the second part of their statement." However, what's the logic behind Rav Meir? Rav Meir, my time. What's the reasoning behind Rav Meir to say that we don't believe the witnesses? What happened to the concept of Pesha Asar? 
So the Gemara goes through each case. We have three different cases in the Mishnah. It goes through each case. I understand the case where they were disqualified because they were uh, disqual- they were disqualified from from signing on the document because they were relatives. So in such a case, it's true they have a pesha asar, but there's also a concept called a chazaka, a a norm, a, a, a norm in which the malva, the lender, will only have Witnesses who are halachically valid witnesses. If they're relatives, they are not halachically valid. And he will make sure that they do not sign. Right? So when these witnesses come and say, this is our signature, but we were related to somebody involved, we don't believe them. Why? One, the minute they say that these are our signatures, boom. Right then and there, we say, oh, what happened? What must have happened? What normally happens is that the malva, the lender, uses people who are kosher, who are qualified to sign. And therefore, we assume that the people that signed were not related. So when the witnesses come and say, but we were related, no, you're going up against uh, the chazaka. You're going up against the norm, the status quo, where we assume that the lender is going to make sure that he has halachically valid uh, signatures. Kitan Nami, what about the second case where there are minors? Kedur B'Shem Ben Lakish, it's like Reish Lakish. The Amr Lakish, moving on to your Tesem of 19A1. There's also a chazaka, there is a, a norm in which witnesses do not sign uh, on a document unless they are adults. They're above the age of 12 or 13. They're, right? They're, they're adults. And so therefore, they will either it's because the lender will make sure that only an adult will sign or the child himself knows that he should never sign. So here too, Romero says it's true there's a Pesha Asar. However, however, the moment he says that he signed, at that very moment, we have certain, certain uh, very strong conclusions, which is that he was a, a valid witness, he was an adult, uh, and therefore for, for this witness to say otherwise, he's going against this very strong assumption, this conclusion, and he's not believed. So we have a dispute here between Romero and the Chachamim. The Chachamim say, doesn't matter, you're right. There are, these are the norms, but in the end of the day, it's only through these witnesses that we know that these are valid signatures, so therefore we have to believe them through and through, their entire testimony. Romero says, no, it's not true. If the second half of the testimony is going against the uh, the conclusion that they are kosher and valid, then we actually will not believe them for the second half. So it's an interesting dispute between the two. However, there's a third case in the Mishnah. And the Gemara is really not sure what's the logic behind Rameyer for this third case. El Anusim my timer. When they say, the witnesses say that this is our signature, but we were forced into it. And there was a threat to our lives, in fact, that uh, there was a gun put to our head and we were forced into it. Well, why aren't they believed for that? If that's actually the truth, so then, you know, it, it, it could make sense. And that, and, uh, the, the quote unquote lender, the fake lender, if this is true, uh, sort of force them into it. Uh, so why can't we be concerned for that? According to Rav Meir. So the Gemara answers as follows. Fascinating line. Amr of Chista. Kasava Rav Meir. Eidim sha'amru lehem chismu sheker v'al tehargu. Yehargu v'al yechasmu sheker. Rav Chista has a very important line here. And he says, Rav Meir is of the opinion that if witnesses have a gun put to their head and they say that you have to you have to sign falsely, or we will kill you, that they have to give up their lives and they shouldn't sign falsely. Meaning, 
basically because we'll explain in a minute why, but because they are uh, testifying and making themselves into rishayim, into people who are not good, i.e., doing the wrong thing. Uh, so therefore, we won't believe them. That's Rav Meir's opinion. Is we won't believe them with regards to this. Now, why are they doing the wrong thing? What exactly is going on here? Rav is about to respond back, and we'll see Rav right now. But Rav responds back by saying, this is not true. We know there's the big three. There's the famous big three. Three commandments where we say you have to give up your life for. And that's it. Amalei Rava. I don't understand. Hashta ilu asu lekaman lim luchei amin eluzi ilu chasum uvelo tiskatlon. Damar mar in lechadavar shomim b'fnei pikuach nefesh alavot zikom v'gil rais pichos dam bavad. Hashta chasum amin eluha my chasmisu. He says, I don't understand. Rava says, I don't understand. How could this be the opinion of a mayor? We know if they came to us in court, and there was the similar situation appeared to us in court, we would tell them, for sure, sign falsely. How do we know? Because there's the big three. There are three, and only three, says Rava, situations where you give up your life and do not violate the Torah. Number one is idol worship. Number two is illicit relationships, relations. And number three is murder. For those three, for idol worship, illicit sexual relations, and for murder, for those three you give up your life for. However, there is no fourth. There is no fourth. And how could you tell me that we don't believe them because they are turning themselves into Rishayim, into uh, into uh, disqualified people, disqualified from testimony, or, or bad people uh, who, are, who violate the Torah. It's not true. It's not true. They should, in fact, sign falsely. That's what Rabbi says. So the Gemara is going to have to answer that, and, and the Gemara will go back and give a different answer. But what was Rav Chista even thinking? What was he thinking to say that they should actually give up their lives for it? So there's a few answers that are that the... Uh, Rishonim, the earlier commentators that they give for this question. One answer is fascinating, that it's not the big three, according to Rav Chista, it's really the big four. That yes, there is a fourth. What's that fourth? That fourth is really stealing. Stealing, any form of theft of stealing money, including signing falsely, whereby it it will cause uh, one person to have to pay the other person. So any of those cases is actually, it's part of the big four. There are sources to such an idea, there are different Gemaras which seem to hint to such an idea, although it's not 100% clear, but that would potentially be the position of Rav Chista. There are really four. Included in the, in the, in the big four is uh, that you have to give up your life to prevent uh, stealing, including signing falsely on a document, on a monetary document. That's one option. A second option is to say no. He agrees to the big three. The big three is a universal principle. He agrees to the big three. However, there's a question with regards to all other commandments. What if a person wants to give up their life to not violate that commandment? They are put in a situation where the guns put to their head and uh, they're told to violate the commandment. Not one of the big three, anything else. So this is a big discussion. Could a person, does a person have the right to give up their life in such a scenario? And so Rav Chista is saying that, yes, not only does he have the right to give up his life, but it was actually the norm. It was actually the norm to give up their lives at that time, at least with regards to signing falsely. And because it became the norm, so for this one person to go ahead and say that he, uh, he in fact, uh, went against the norm, even though it's not a violation of the Torah, which is also a novel approach here. It's not a violation of the Torah. The Torah says you're allowed to violate and sign falsely in this situation. But because the norm sort of became, at least according to Rav Chista, the norm became where they would give up their lives, so he is sort of lowering his reputation 
in the eyes of others. And so therefore, uh, we won't believe it. Uh, also, a very interesting approach that, uh, first of all, he's not, he's doing exactly what the Torah says, but, uh, and because of that, why shouldn't we believe him? We should still believe him, but no, apparently we wouldn't believe him because he's going against what, uh, what the norm is. Assuming that, that that's the norm, it's really not simple. This is a big, big discussion whether or not you're allowed, you're even allowed to give up your life if it's not one of the big three. Maybe you have to survive. There's an obligation to survive and to violate uh, the Torah in such a situation. Either way, Rava questions Rav Chista and says, what are you talking about? There's only the big three. Rav Meir cannot be of the position that if you were asked to sign falsely that they should have given up their lives and therefore when they testify that they sign falsely, therefore they're not believed because they're turning themselves into Rishayim, into people uh, who have a bad reputation. No, that can't be the reason. Because there's only the big three, it doesn't include uh, signing falsely. So what is this whole argument about? What is the position of Rav Meir? It's like Rav Huna Amarav. What did Rav Huna Amarav say? So Rashi explains, it's a question of how to read the Gemara, but Rashi, the classic commentator on the page, explains that the situation that Rav Meir argues on the Chachamim is a situation where the borrower admitted to the fact that the document was written. So you have a situation here. This is what's going on. You have a situation where the, we, where the borrower admits that the document was written. And in such a scenario, forget, let's ignore our case for now, but in a regular case, you have a lender and a borrower. The borrower admits that the, the document was written, so now he has to pay. But what if he says that I paid already? If he says I paid already, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because we say that the star, the document is still in the hands of the, of the lender. He has to pay. He has to pay. Because he admitted to the fact that it was a good document. So, and you don't have to prove its authenticity. You don't have to do any of that. It's just, you have to pay. Because once he, he admitted that the document was uh, a valid document and it wasn't a forgery, so therefore, as long as the document is in the hands of the lender, so then he has to pay. Perhaps the logic behind that is if he actually paid, so then he would have taken back the document. The fact that he, the document is still in the hands of the lender, that shows us that uh, he did not pay yet. That's one one way of looking at it. Either way, that's what Ravuna says. So if you plug that back into our case, so then what you have here is a situation where both the borrower and the lender admit to the authenticity of the document. Now comes along witnesses. Witnesses come along and they say, wait a minute, no. We were forced into it. This is a forgery. So we say, you know what? If the borrower and the lender uh, admit to it, and they say that it's a good document, we don't care what the witnesses have to say. We don't care. According to Vermeer, at least. Vermeer says we don't care what they have to say uh, because they admit to it. We, we believe that this is a good document, and we don't believe the witnesses when they say that it was uh, that they were forced into it. We just don't believe them. Um, and that would be the position of Vermeer, the Chachamim. Uh, the rabbis in our Mishnah, they argue, and they say that no. No, just because the love of the borrower admits to it doesn't mean that you can't, you still uh, don't believe the witnesses. The witnesses are stronger. And we would believe the witnesses, especially since they have a Pesha Asr. They didn't have to say anything entirely. So once we leave them on their word, we'll believe them entirely. Okay. That is uh, that is the dispute between Rameyer and the Chachamim, and the majority. A few more lines in the Gemara. Gufa, Amr Huna, Rav, Rav says, Mo Rav says this novel approach, he says, you should know that if the borrower admitted to the fact that this is a good document, so then you don't question its authenticity. 
So Rav Nachman says back, wait a minute, this is a, a, a minority opinion of a mayor, and you're just saying this as a blanket rule? You're, you're acting deceitfully. You're just saying this as the law when it's really a minority opinion. It's the opinion of Rav Meir. Just say that this is the law of Rav Meir. So Amar Lei, Rav Huna says back, He says, wait a minute, what do you hold exactly? He says, Amar Lei, He says that, no, I wouldn't believe, I wouldn't just believe the lender, even if the lender admits to uh, to, to the fact that this was a good document. No, I would still, when it comes to court and the borrower wants to, uh, to, sorry, even if the borrower admits to it, I apologize, even if the borrower admits to it, we still won't say that it's a good document. Uh, once the lender wants his money back, we'll say we have to, we have to prove that this, we have to prove it. We have to prove that this is a good document. We won't just go based on the word of the lender, uh, of the borrower. Excuse me. Sorry about that. Um, and that's the position of Rav Nachman. So Rav Nachman says that this is a minority opinion of Rav Meir. Everybody else holds that you would actually have to prove its authenticity, even if both parties agree that this was a good document. Okay, that's on the topic of the dispute between Rav Meir and the Chachamim, and we'll continue with a new topic in the next recording.